Welcome to the Helping Children Thrive podcast, where we talk about ways to improve your child's health and recovery. I'm your host, Momina Saleem, and I'm a certified pediatric functional medicine health coach. At Helping Children Thrive, it is our aim to educate and empower parents and practitioners with integrative approaches to children's health conditions. Along with this hope that our children can recover, I welcome you all. Hi, everyone. On today's show, we're going to talk about electropollution. We have now been surrounded by so many electronics and with the fast pace um, of, of advancements in technology, there are more and more things that we're constantly um, surrounded by in our environment that are increasing our, um, the electromagnetic frequencies that we're surrounded by. Um, and they have a huge implication on our children's health. And we're starting to see that, um, see these connections come through in research that are highlighting the, um, the, the important role that electropollution is playing in our children's health. And for that reason, I wanted to have this conversation on this platform. And I am so thrilled to be able to um, have Peter Sullivan come in and talk to us about that today. Peter is the founder and CEO of Claire Light Ventures, as well as an environmental health funder who focuses on toxins and wireless safety. He has spent the past 17 years focusing on environmental health. Peter's work on detoxification and EMF have been featured in the book Toxin Talks Out, Mother Jones Magazine, Paleo Magazine, and CNN's Morgan Spurlock, Inside Man. He's an executive producer of the documentary Generation Zapped about the health effects of wireless, and he's a co-executive producer of the film The Devil We Know about Teflon pollution. Peter serves as a board advisor to Pure Health and the International Institute for Building Biology Ecology. Previously, he worked as a software engineer, making software easier to use at Netflix, Interwoven, Excited at Home, and Silicon Graphics. He has a BA in psychology from the University of Detroit and an MS in computer science from Stanford University. So let's just get into our interview with Peter. Hi, Peter. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. I was just saying I haven't done an international Zoom kind of broadcast yet, and it's just nice to reach your audience and connect with you for the first time. Yeah, no, this is great. Um, so, you know, when I start, I like to ask everyone that I'm interviewing how they got into um, doing the things that, they, that they're doing. So for you, how did you start working with your, with your company, you know, in all of this area? Yeah, the background. Well, I think I was a software designer in Silicon Valley, a software engineer and designer in Silicon Valley. I guess internationally, you would probably, I was in Silicon Valley from about 1990. I'm still there. I'm traveling now, but I um, was in Silicon Valley working from about 1990 to 2005 uh, and worked at a lot of high-tech companies from, with a variety of jobs. My, at the end of my career, though, I was doing um, software design. I've been trained at Stanford as a software designer and computer scientist. And I think most people would know me as um, I was Netflix's principal software designer for a short period in like, you know, 2004 and five. Um, so, um, you know, I've had an, ex I've had the ability to, and, and I was in the, I was in Silicon Valley during the internet gold rush and, and ran the front page of a portal called Excite, which is 
kind of like a precursor to Google or you know, it was a competitor of Yahoo. Yeah. So I, you know, I was in Silicon Valley during that rush and I, you know, loved technology and embraced it. And of course, then at the same time, I started a family and um, we started having kids and my kids started having some uh, developmental delays. And some were kind of along, you know, wouldn't say on the, the autism spectrum, but, you know, symptoms of autism. And when you look at some of what's going on, you know, people having yeast overgrowth and metals, and at least I started looking at all those biological things. So of course, I, first I started doing all the behavioral psychological stuff, which I think a lot of people, this is, so the natural pattern is you think everything's fine. And then you think, oh, this, this happened and you go, well, it must be genetic or whatever. And, you know, in a lot of families, they, they start blaming each other with the spouses. Yeah. And, um, and then at some point, and we did all the behavioral stuff. And then we started getting into the biological stuff. So Amazon started sending me books that were about, you know, biomed treatments of these kids with enzymes and detoxification, all these things. And I was, oh, this is brilliant. And so, and I realized I was having some health problems along the same line. So I think it started for me with, you know, these diagnoses and some symptoms. And then I went down the route, you know, back in 2002 and three of thinking it was toxic metals. So some people were thinking autism, we've got, you know, what's going on here and toxic metals. And certainly that is a contributor, but um, I, and I focused on that for the longest time. So I focused on mercury poisoning and um, international mercury pollution and everything. I still do some work in that area. Mm -hmm. um, but what I learned was that, um, along the way, I, I had fully detoxed myself and the kids. And I think the kids got better from a detoxification program or just avoiding exposures. But there was still something missing for me and my weight had really gone down. So right now I'm about 145 pounds, 5'10 at the time. Uh, and I normally I'm about 150 something, I'm a little light now, but um, I had gotten down to 132 pounds. And my, uh, I had a tooth crack and I just looked like, I just looked frail and weak and, and a little bit spacey. And uh, so I was trying to figure out what was going on. It's like, I, I thought I'd done everything right. I was eating organic. And, and at the time too, I started having, um, I started feeling weird around wireless exposures. I mean, I first would sometimes, I would sit in front of a large uh, screen all day. And this was before we had a lot of flat screens. I sat in front of a big CRT screen, you know, which is like an electron gun pointing at your head. So I went through that and I could start to feel that a little bit. And so I started realizing I was a little bit sensitive to that. And then later found I was more sensitive to like, you know, magnetic fields and electric fields and started learning about, I don't know if you have building biologist in your region, yeah. but it's, it's something that originated in Germany after World War II, when there were a lot of sick buildings and they treat mold. So, you know, if you, if you have a, you need to go to a doctor, you go to a doctor. If you have a sick building, you go to a building biologist. So they have some of the practitioners in the U.S. And I think it's quite international. I think there should be some people in your area. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So then I started working, you know, getting measurements and seeing people come with meters and starting to, you know, this guy going, God, am I crazy? I remember one time even taking my cell phone and just kind of like my body just threw it and was like, didn't want to be near it. And I'm like, well, I, I, my brain loves personal technology. The cell phone designers are friends. I was, you know, did a lot of personal technology work. Like what's going on? This is really weird. And I didn't know what was right. My brain, is my body crazy or is my, is my thoughts about this wrong? And then as I saw all this information now and I started seeing like about 2010, I started seeing more science. I went to a conference and start, 
a little talk and start hearing scientists talk about this. And I said, oh my God, this is a real thing. And that was in the heart of, that was in San Francisco at the Commonwealth Club at a very credible institution, a lot of politicians go to. So I started you know, looking at it. And, and one of the things that got me triggered too is I had been funding a little bit of, I made some money in Silicon Valley and we were doing some funding of autism and, and, and other environmental health issues like, you know, mercury. And um, they, I'd always learned from the autism folks and getting grief that there, you know, there were genetic components to this. And they kept mentioning over and over at one scientist kept saying, you know, we keep the calcium channels keep coming up. And when I was listening to the scientists in 2010, they said, you know, we have all these different uh, effects of wireless and, and you know, electromagnetic fields. And one of them is cal calcium dysregulation, calcium kind of go too much calcium getting into the cell. And I just, this huge light bulb went off and I said, oh my God, is it possible that this is related to the autism? This is one of the contributors and you know, it's not just genetic and it's certainly not just environmental. And I had learned already from Stan at Stanford that when they did this genetic study of twins that, um, you know, one an identical twins and one that has autism, one that doesn't, they did all the statistics and they found, I, I, geez, I'm, I think I'm forgetting the percentage exactly, but it was like 39% genetic and the rest was environmental. And so, okay, well, what, you know, and certainly you're not gonna have a genetic epidemic. So, so I asked, so at that point I said, this is really interesting. So I asked a, um, a woman who was working with a lot of researchers, Cindy Sage, about some research and she says, oh yeah, she's, we talked about it for a while. And but I didn't feel like, you know, she and I have no credibility in this. So we, I, I asked uh, Martha Herbert, who's a doctor at Harvard to write a paper. And she and Cindy Sage worked together and they published the paper in 2013 and said, basically what they said in, in a nutshell was that the symptoms of autism match known symptoms of EMF exposure and, and a wide variety of them like DNA damage, ox, you know, oxidative stress, inflammation, melatonin disruption, sleep disruption you know, a wide range of things that are not just autism related, but, it, you know, impact everyone. And I thought as soon as that paper got published, it was going to be like, boom, you know, here it is. got a Harvard doctor, so and so, but, you know, she, you know, scientists are very, she's, you know, said, says, this looks, she basically, the title was, this is plausible, this is possible, and that we shouldn't rule it out. And that did help, it certainly did help with the credibility. And, and at that point, I, you know, I started lowering a lot of my exposures and I saw my weight and my health come back and my focus and my sharpness and my sleep return. And I saw my kids improve. I saw my kids go from, it, they went from a little bit of developmental delay to kind of average with some of the biomed stuff. And then with removing some of the EMF stuff, I saw them really become exceptional and, you know, start doing advanced work in high school. And then they later got both got into UC Berkeley and, uh, and I have one, so one of them is graduate already and did a master's there and is working in a job as a data scientist. And the other one is about to graduate in a couple of weeks. And they're both really lovely kids and highly functional. And, you know, you just wouldn't, wouldn't dream that there was any problem in the past. And so I, that should give you a lot of hope. I mean, it is really, I think what Dr. Herbert says is autism is not something that something bad that happened in the past from genetic or even in, uh, in environmental exposure, her belief is it's a constant load that's on you right now. It's like it's raining outside and when the rain stops, you know, the flowers come up. And so 
I, I, so yeah, and, and I think one of my influences from Dr. Herbert is I was very focused as a technologist on, you know, one thing breaks and there's one cause. And she was like, you know, in the human body, it's just not that way. Like you, you, everything is, you know, if you get exposed to uh, toxic metals, you don't get a get out of jail free card for EMF exposure. If anything, you're more susceptible. So it's more like a, a gang tackle in American football where you get one person slows you down and then it just is a pile on. And so I, 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 you know, so a lot of people get very vehement and they go, it's one thing, you know, it's this or it's that. And, and I would just urge you, I was that person, you know, and I had that very black and white thinking and, and it came from a lot of engineering work, but you know, we're not designed like machines are, you know, they have one part and it breaks. We're built to be very resilient and we have all these backup systems. By the time you see a symptom, you've had five or six different things kind of go wrong. So those are my kind of my big lessons and belief systems um, on and how I got here. And I'm still, you know, I've been, I guess it's been, you know, 11 years now of working in, I don't know how many years, almost 20 years of working in child development and environmental health with kids and, and adults. And, uh, and now maybe 10 or 11 years, I think maybe 2007, I started working on EMF, but more seriously in 2010. And, you know, we've had good progress. And so um, from with helpful folks like you really spreading the word credibly and calmly, you know, about this topic. Yeah, it's great. And I think your story gives parents a lot of hope, right? Um, especially yeah. um, kids with parents with children, either on the spectrum or something that's almost autism is like a word that, you know, one of the people that we've exactly. to the podcast um, talked about. And, you know, this, this idea that recovery is possible is something that I want to offer to families who are listening in as well. That it's mm -hmm. like, like you said, it's not just one single piece. It's looking at the whole the whole picture, right? This whole idea of total load that a lot of these kids, whether it's autism or whether it's other mental health conditions or even chronic conditions, that it all stems from um, a whole bunch of symptoms and, and, and things that have been affecting the body. Um, and then just coming back to that whole idea of, of epigenetics, right? It, you might have genes that, that predispose you to something, but it's really your environment, the epigenetics, that will express those those exactly. um, genetics and turn them on and off. And exactly. so one thing that, that you talked about was how when you were around, you know, EMF or, you know, just a lot of like these electric radiations and, and you kind of felt it in your body that, you know, it wasn't sitting well with you or that it was affecting you. How could mm -hmm. people listening in, um, so whether it's for adults or even for their children, how could they kind of pick up on, on those cues that, that it's affecting their bodies. Exactly, it's very subtle and I didn't, I didn't really notice it at first. Um, but let's talk about, yeah, so I wanna make sure that everyone understands kind of the health effects of it and how it feels. Because I think I can tell you about the science and what I've learned is if I tell you about the science, you might look at it, but it's still, you're like, uh, you don't, it isn't get, doesn't get grounded in your life. And so what, what we have done actually is at autism conferences, I've spoke at autism conferences and I'll give you all those links to share. But we'll also, what we've also started doing was grounding it experiential by building a, a wireless free event tent. Yeah. 
And so everything was shielded. So when you walked in there, you turn your phone off or all your, your fitness trackers, your Apple watch and all that stuff. And you'd go in there and we'd have a meter and measure it. And we'd see it go from maybe 5,000 microwatts to close to zero. And people would walk in and I expected, you know, I didn't know what to expect, honestly. I expected maybe 50-50 that some people would feel it and some people not. Um, it turns out, because, you know, in the population right now, there's maybe three to 5% of people, I don't even know what it is now, that are, you know, extremely electrosensitive and they feel it and they need to kind of live someplace special. But I think at this point with the exposures are so high, I think what we're finding with the tent is maybe it's three to 5% of people who can't feel it. And who, who aren't either, who are not affected or really not in touch with their body or whatever's going on there, I don't know. But we do find the majority of people walk in and they have a felt experience. And I'll send you videos. There's videos of this online too. And they basically say most, they sit down and sometimes they feel it right away. And they either say, oh, wow, that's different. Or they feel, sometimes they feel they have more space or they feel, the, the, the most common word is calm. They feel calmer. Uh, and some people will say they feel heavier. We get a lot of different reactions. And some people sit there for a while and they just go, I don't feel any different. I'm just more relaxed. And they say, well, it's just because it's in, it's quiet and there's no so-and-so. I said, yeah, it's not exactly it. <laughs> it's not, I've tried this. It's like, they say, you need a tent that's not shielded to do a placebo test. I'm like, you know what? There's, there's enough science on this and you're not going to so I've gone through that. And so some people are just never going to believe it. So it's all about trying to create an experience. And I, I, I find that that's the best way is when you give somebody a discerning experience. And we can do that now, not everyone's, especially during COVID, we can't have this tent go all the way around. Um, the easiest way, well, the cheapest way is you start, well, let's talk about how you feel too. The symptomology, the most common thing you'll get is um, sleep dysfunction, sleep dysregulation or insomnia. Right, so people have a hard time falling asleep or they'll wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep. They'll just feel amped up. Uh, and that's usually a combination of, and that a lot of people are going through that now. It's not just wireless, it's gonna be also a lot of blue light and screen time is a factor, multitude of factors, but I would say right now it's probably blue light and blue light screen time and wireless. Um, so, so the sleep is number one. And then sleep, of course, undermines, you know, mental health and development, it, social function, empathy, all that stuff. So sleep is just so sleep fundamental. Just sleep is just sleep is just so. And, and it's interesting that you say that a lot of people talk about, you know, getting the hours of sleep. So they'll say, oh, no, but I'm getting six to eight hours of sleep and I feel okay. But it's actually not optimal sleep that they're getting, right? It's not that, that deep REM sleep that they're getting that's going to help restore their body. Even with children, I see that with a lot of the clients that I work with, they might be sleeping the 10 hours that, that you'd recommend children to sleep, but they're still waking up cranky, just, you know, disinterested or with kids um, with, with mental issues. Like they're, they're just either angry or, you know, other things like that. Kids with ADHD, they have their signs and symptoms just constantly showing up. And so what would you say to that? Yeah, you, you stole my line, but it's, it's, but it's perfect. You were in sync. I mean, it's, it's not the length of sleep. It's the depth. We need to get, we need to get deep sleep. Uh, and so we're, we're developing our melatonin and everything. And, uh, and we need to get REM sleep to help de-traumatize us and to help us stay calm. And, uh, and the melatonin is really quite interesting. So um, 
a lot, a lot of people have been focused on so melatonin is low in autism and in a lot of people right now, and it's an important antioxidant. So blue light can reduce it. So if there's too much blue light, it's just like daylight, you want things to kind of wind down. So when, when you, if you turn off, if you don't turn off blue light, you'll be active and you'll have energy at night because it's a signal to your body that's daylight and keep going. So you want to dial down the blue light and also consider, I would consider wireless. Wireless is basically um, light at a frequency slower than you can feel, or slower than you can see. So it's still, the photons are still hitting your body. And we of course have melatonin disruption from that. So yeah, super, super important with the sleep. And then that's not the only factor, of course, then there are uh, mental health effects. There are anxiety and depression can be a factor. Um, one of the more, more common ones too is ear ringing or tinnitus. So people yeah. get ringing in the ear. You're hearing very frequently people doing that. And that could be, of course, um, you know, not only wireless, but what's called dirty electricity. It could be noise on your power line. So if you don't like, you know, buzzing, if you walk into your room and there's buzzing lights and everything, that's like dirty electricity. And I'll, I'll give, send you the book on that as well. Yeah, so, um, that you mentioned that, cause I can kind of hear that like in my room right now. And I'm just, you know, as you're talking, I'm just like, what is that? And, and I can hear it. And it's, you know, it, it almost starts to create your awareness around these things that, you know, it, it's around us. It's something that we need to focus on and, and, you know, take more care about. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that was one of my factors is uh, as I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping well. And one of the things that drove me nuts at night, I became very noise sensitive. So I was wearing headphones and earplugs and all this stuff, but you could still hear the din. And the problem is it, it wasn't tinnitus is you're hearing is in theory, you're hearing something when there's no sound, but in actuality, I had a sound expert come and there was like this sound in my house. And so what, what it's actually formally would be called is microwave hearing is that you have microwaves or dirty electricity inducing noise on the auditory nerve. So like, you know, you, it comes in here and then it gets translated in the nerve. So the nerve, the nerve is like, you know, it's this noise being put on the nerve and that noise is going through your whole system. So one of the things that happens when people, yeah, go in the tent or they turn these things off is they feel calm and they feel stillness. So it's, it's lowering the noise and, you know, you know, imagine if, you're, if your child is trying to develop, it's like talking in a room when there's a lot of noise. There's two things you can do. You can talk louder. And when you look at these kids' EEGs, they are very forcefully spending a lot of energy to try to connect. Or you can lower the noise. And that's the ultimate solution. You can tell everybody, shh, like a library, and then go back and start and then, you know, communicate at it with, with less effort and energy. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting because it's something that's constant, right? So it's these waves are hitting us constantly. So our body's almost at this, in this fight or flight state because it's, it doesn't shut yeah. down. It's just constant. No, you are so keyed into everything. So I'm so happy you brought that up. So yeah, number one, we, we're not meant to be in fight or flight mode or in even just kind of leaning in that direction all the time. And our body doesn't... Uh, rest, digest, heal, or develop. Like if you're in fight or flight mode and a tiger's chasing you, it's not a priority to, to connect brain circuits or repair DNA. Um, so one of the most important, and, and that's what EMF does, is it tends to dysregulate the, um, the heart rate variability in the autonomic nervous system 
more towards fight or flight mode. And, and that is one of the key elements. So it's, you've got these environmental factors and people sometimes react differently to this. And it depends, sometimes their nervous system goes to fight or flight mode. Sometimes it goes into kind of like a, almost a faint mode or like a really dials down and becomes more parasympathetic. So some people will get, one of the doctors who was talking about mold exposure said, I have people come in and they're either super hyper vigilant and they're in that precise mode, we would call like high strung, you know, like tuning, like your nervous system is like a musical instrument. So you can either go high strung and that's what most people will go that way. But you'll also see people who are getting into fatigue and mitochondrial issues. And then they'll go the other way trying to die because that precise mode takes a lot of energy. And, and that's kind of what this gets back to the calcium channels. So for the longest time I said, oh, it's all about the calcium channels. And I said, well, what do the calcium channels do? What's their function? And I saw a great paper from Stanford and it talked about getting the body into an excited state for high performance. So imagine, you know, if we were talking about the story of your life, you're gonna highlight some key areas that were critical. Sometimes there were danger or there were tests or things that required you to be, or even just emotional situations where you really needed to be on it. And in that case, you want your nervous system to be tight up and precise, and you want to make sure you have enough energy. Okay, and that's great. But if you're not meant to be in that mode all the time because it's exhausting on your nervous system, it's draining and it drains energy. It's, it's also a lot like I, another analogy, it's like highlighting a book when you're studying. So the calcium channels that go into an excited mode, say, oh, this is important, highlight. And then they're meant to go back off. Now, the EMF directly impacts the calcium channels and pushes the calcium inside the cell. And that creates this, that creates the excitation. A lot, some people are used to that from drinking coffee. They get uh, intracellular calcium released, not from the outside, but from inside, from the endoplasmic reticulum. It's a little technical. But if you want a felt sensation, like drinking too much coffee, you know, can make you edgy. But it also can release energy, it can get you in this mode and release energy. But we're not supposed to be in that mode all the time, especially at night, like nobody's drinking coffee in the middle of the night. So, and you certainly don't want your kids to, to do that all the time. And, and if you have too much intracellular calcium, it leads to um, uh, cytotoxicity. So you can have oxidative stress and inflammation and DNA damage. And, um, and Dr. Mercola brought that up too. That's another big link is, matter. I would say it's probably the number one is he's saying that we know ionizing radiation like x-rays, you know, can damage DNA directly and has enough power to do that and knock, knock directly break it. But this non-ionizing radiation, this wireless signals that we use now, you end up having the same effects and it doesn't directly knock an electron off or whatever, but it, um, it screws up it, when you're in like fight or flight mode or whatever's going on here, there's an interference with DNA repair and there's more oxidative stress and reduction of melatonin. So you end up and it, and it pulls down NAD, which is used to repair uh, DNA. And so, so that's what's going on. And we, we just had this great paper come out that said the difference between men, why boys and women have autism more, which we've been trying to figure out for the longest time, and they, they believe in this latest paper, and I haven't read the details, is that women's brains are more resilient to DNA damage while they're developing than men's brains for some reason. And um, so women can handle more of that apparently, but I think no one should have to deal with that. And it's, it's also um, that DNA damage is also a concern for, you know, if you're a parent, you wanna have kids, 
there's this concept of de novo mutations in autism, which is mutations that were not inherited. They didn't come from the parents. They're mutations, you know? And so I think this is probably gonna end up being one of the key elements that people haven't been looking at with either infertility or these de novo mutations and everything kind of piling up. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Our bodies are pretty resilient, but as you said, we're in a state of overload and a lot of these chronic conditions, whether you're talking about autism or ADHD or Alzheimer's or anything, they're very, you know, they're pileups of either inflammation or oxidative stress or DNA damage. And like one of the scientists, Magna Hava was saying that the symptoms in EMF are so widespread that she just considers it, considers it accelerated aging. Yeah. So and you may- Gary, our kids are, are starting to show that, right? So much yeah. earlier now. Well, they're acting, some of our kids are acting like, you know, the old, old people who are getting a little bit rigid. And, and everybody's acting that way right now. Everybody's really stressed. So I want everyone to know, you know, all the factors that these environmental factors are there. And then, and then of course you need to know what the symptoms are. So you may have physical symptoms, just like when we age, you may have, may have a decline in mental health or you may, or, and function, or you may have a decline in physical health or both. And the same thing with EMF exposure, you may have, you know, inflammation in your joints from it, or you may have ear ringing, or you may have memory loss, um, you know, or your words get screwed up or autonomic nervous. So there's a host of things that can happen and it varies depending on your genetics and epigenetics and everything. Yeah. And so before we kind of get into, you know, strategies to, to mitigate a lot of these, I just kind of wanted to touch upon dirty electricity, because that's one of the things that um, all of this kind of addresses as well, right? So just being around, um, you know, electricity in our wiring, you know, the, the lamp at our bedside that we sleep on every night, you know, that light is still on, even if we turn off the lamp, you know, just yeah. little things like that, that we're constantly surrounded about. Um, I like to tell my parents to turn off all of their, their switches before they go off to sleep, but it's, it's a chore. It's one more thing to do before you go to bed every night. But yeah. can you just talk a little bit about that? So parents, parents and people who are listening can understand what that is. Yeah, so dirty electricity is our, our power, is our AC power that's in almost all the countries that allows power to, to go long on a power line um, that Tesla basically invented is it's nice, it's, it was originally designed to be a nice smooth sine wave, like kind of rolling waves in the ocean. But when you have a lot of electricity starting and stopping, just like when you turn on and off a hose, you might hear a little bit of, or water you might hear a little, the pipes rattle a little bit. So those are like transient currents and these little spikes. So dirty electricity would be, instead of this nice smooth wave, you might see like a nice smooth wave, but like a little spike on it. And those, and those tend to be these little spikes at different frequencies. And they come from the way we've changed a lot of our electricity. Like in the eighties, we started doing well, two things. We started doing switching power supplies, a different way of taking our AC current going down to DC. So when you plug those little transformers into the wall, a lot of those chop, chop up the electricity and they're a little sloppy about it. Um, and, and sometimes also the, the, uh, the power companies do some things that have noise in the electric. So it's a combination of this. And also we've been using, as we switched from more analog to digital in the 80s, you know, we used to have a, your baby monitor used to be analog, but then it went to digital. And the digital is great because you get a clearer signal and it's very clear. It's like a yes, no, 
And then that gets translated and you get a clear signal with less popping and noise, but that ability to like chop it up and make it, it, you just don't see square waves in nature. And so when you do that, you're gonna get like a turbulence basically in the electrical system. And you see those as little spikes. And the felt experience of that would be, I think if you walk into a room and, it, and the noise in the room feels harsh, or you may feel your hands get hot. I would get, I get tend to get red ears a little bit around dirty electricity. Um, and then that, that also affected my sleep and building biologists will consider that in the, in the frequency ranges of um, let's see from 2000 Hertz to 100,000 Hertz are the frequencies that are biologically in that range. And there are multiple ways of measuring that there's the original one is so uh, the Stetzer Stetzer meter, and then there's a green wave uh, meter. And then there's other ways of measuring it with measuring it in a magnetic field, just out in free space that building biologists have been doing with a special gigahertz meter. Uh, I like to use, you know, all of them. And then there's a lot of ways of mitigating the filter. And then you could put these filters in. And so the original one was Stetzer, uh, then green wave. Um, there are some other ones like a pure power, um, forgetting all the names of them. The, the latest one that I like that's been working well for a lot of really sensitive folks is one called Noxtok. N-O-X-T-O-K has been really good for really sensitive people. So I've been evolved. I probably played with about five or eight different, oh no, geez, more than that, maybe 10 different things. And there's an audio guy named Alan Marr who's got a filtering systems and they all, you know, they're all competing and doing their thing. And I end up using a variety of them on my home and yeah, when I travel. Yeah. yeah, and it's something that just like the wireless signals that we're talking about, this is also causing a lot of physical um, problems and ailments to people. So it's exactly. basically both of them are like working in tandem to really cause a lot of like physical issues. You're exactly right. And because, you know, when I look back, I said, okay, if, if, if EMF is is part of the autism thing and i think it is i think there's a lot of evidence that it is what part of it is because we've had you know power for we've had magnetic fields and electric fields that come from big power lines for a long time and i think it was only until when you know when autism started sweeping up in the mid to late 80s that's when we started doing the switching power supplies and we started doing like the digital cordless phones but one of the big ones i think for kids especially is the baby monitor situation and I think that's one of the chief suspects. So we're researching this now. We're, we're gonna try to build a clinical database and we're gonna teach parents. And you know, on my website, if you go to Clearlight Ventures and you click on meters, we've got some recommended meters there. I have another one, there's a tri-field meter I need to add to it, but there are two different meters and instructions for measuring it. Uh, and, and we're gonna put that into database along with like an ATEC score and other data, which is ATEC is an autism severity score. And then we're gonna make you know, measure it, mitigate it, and and then see what what changed. Now, one of the most amazing things is we've had some people. This this should get you know give people a lot of hope. We've had some amazing overnight um, improvements in autism with just a little bit of reduction. This is you know zero cost. This is unplugging some things around the bed. So I'll give you the inspiring. The most inspiring story is um, let's see. I can't remember. He's a Autism, I can't remember his, his age, but there was a boy who had autism from a military family and his dad, um, what did he do again? His dad, I think, just unplugged the Wi-Fi at night 
And it took, a, it took the next day the child improved and the caregiver said, what did you do to this child? I said, well, I just unplugged the Wi-Fi." And then by the end of the week, this is a, a nonverbal autistic child spoke a full sentence to his wow. surprise and his mother's. And you could look it up if you search for Dr. Um, uh, Toral Yelter, that she was the doctor who had the direct experience with this patient. And she has this protocol that she invented at which, and with, I think, Cindy Sage too, and it's cheap and free and you just try it. And you just try it at night. Um, and what you do is you turn off anything wireless in the house. So you turn off the baby monitor. Of course, if you have a you know phone or a Fitbit or tracking thing, anyone, you know, anyone like that, you turn that off. But their protocol was invented at the beginning when it was just basically baby monitors, a cordless phone base station. If you have still have a cordless landline, the one main base station with the voicemail is like a little cell tower. You turn that off at night. Um, so it's the baby monitor there and then the Wi-Fi. So you can start with that. Now, you can also turn off to try to mitigate dirty electricity too. You can try to turn the circuit breaker for the bedroom, for the bedroom lights and, and circuits around. You could turn that off. Now there's a cheap free, and I have that on my website as well. That's a very cheap free way for you to experiment and see how this works. Some people will see immediate results, but for the majority of people, they need to sleep well for a little while to let the inflammation come down and let things catch up. And, and, um, and, if you, and also I would say, let's say, even if you don't see an, a dramatic impact after two weeks, um, you, know, you may still have parasites or so-and-sos or all these other things going on. So you, you removed one factor you still probably have other things to do. So keep going there, you know, you're still plugging holes um, in that. But yeah, I think lately it's, so adding on to her protocol, lately there's been a lot of people with fitness trackers or sleep trackers. So you have like an Apple watch or a Fitbit or, you know, whatever, and Aura ring, all these things. So you can, on most of them, you can turn them, turn off the Bluetooth. Temper, you can turn off the Bluetooth all day long or especially minimally at night. So you can still sleep well and you can still collect the data and you just turn the Bluetooth on to connect in the morning and get the data or whatever you need from it. So um, yeah, I recommend that. I think people, and then also the worst one of course is then you know the, the Apple earbuds in the head. So you've got people who've got the earbuds, the watch and they're just so, and then they're, they're sleeping with their phone next to their bed and, they're, and so, and they wonder why they can't sleep. And you know, but it, it is, you know, over and over again, if you tell people just to lean into it as an experiment, um, and I've had people in the middle of Silicon Valley, I've had, you know, one of Google's, one of Google's lawyers was not sleeping. And I said, all right, go do this, this. And he got back to me, he goes, yeah, I sleep better. You know, and this is, this happens over and over and over again. So. Um, it's the yeah. little things, right? Um, and one thing that I also wanted to add, because I've been seeing a lot of parents using the outlet on their baby. So it's, um, it's like something that you put attached to, to their leg. And it's again, to give parents feedback of, you know, if their heart rate drops or something like that. And, and so yeah. it just keeps making me think about how many more things are we going to add and attach to our kids' bodies, even though it does say that it's low EMF and, but it's not zero EMF. So it just, how much load can our baby's bodies take? Uh, we, you know, we don't know. And it's not, it's not ethical for us to actually test. And when you're buying these things, so we make these assumptions, we buy these things that there's all this safety testing and the safety testing in the U S is, is, 
more, I would say the appearance of safety testing than actual safety testing. So the standards are more than 20 years old. And um, I work with um, one of the engineers now, the, the lawyer, or one of the persons in charge of safety testing in the wireless industry in the mid nineties in the US. And he found there was harm back in the nineties and reported it and got, you know, basically ushered out and, you know, shooed away. And they started basically using, you know, merchant of doubt tactics like tobacco and just, you know, trying to gloss over this. And so a lot of the messaging around all that is just, it's, it's kind of artificial and made up. It's, it's just like marketing and sales with the appearance of science, but it's not um, in any way a complete, it's not a complete proof of safety. Um, and yeah. a lot of the stuff, you know, it's, it's not. And so you can't, and you know, we're so trusting and we, we think, oh, we buy a baby monitor, it's so, so it's, it's, it's not been safety tested in any way. And the owl and all these other things. And there's been ones too, that where you put it on the diaper to tell you whether you like Bluetooth thing on the diaper. And it's like, well, these are known to cause like sperm damage, right? So it's like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> Uh, and that's the same with like cell phone in the pocket with dads and everything and keeping it on the body. I mean, one of the other tricks too, is that now this is off right now, but one of the important things to know with mitigation is that it does drop up rapidly. Well, some people will say, why should I turn off my cell phone? Cause it's all over anyway. It doesn't make any difference. It actually does. If you have a, if you have a cell tower, even right outside your phone, your house, your cell phone is probably, you know, the things that are closest to you, your cell phone or your Apple watch or whatever, are probably your greatest exposures. So every time you um, double the distance, like you would never put this next to your head, um, but that's what most people do. I don't anymore. It's, it, if, you, if you read in the safety warnings, it says you can't put it within a certain distance. So let's say you're talking on the phone and you're like this. Well, I mean, I'd rather have a speakerphone or other things. So you're out like that, but Every time you double the distance, the radiation level, because it's going off in this big circle, drops off 75%. So you double the distance. So distance is a way of mitigating. So not only can you turn things off, but you can just create some space between you. Um, And so that's a a key element as well. Yeah. Um, You know, it was was interesting. I was talking to my husband about this just today because I I was telling him I was going to talk to you and just about how, like, you know, when we have laptops and and we're working on them throughout the day, just by, you know, connecting them and grounding them to the earth, we can kind of just reduce a lot of, you know, we we kind of stop being in the circuit by by doing that. Or like this whole idea of of putting um, these these blankets on, on babies and even as adults when we're sleeping at night. Um, can you just talk a little bit about that? So whether if it is something that people should consider? Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It's something I wouldn't do it first. Um, there's two, so some people have said, if you talk to the guy who invented grounding, he'll say, oh, it always protects you and it's all good. And I've had people get worse in some cases. And so they'll tell you, man, I've had some people have an amazing you know, situation. So ideally, you know, you can always just go outside in a clean environment, step on the ground, and that's a good situation. The problem can be is in your room, you could have a big electrical field, which is like a little invisible lightning bolt, and it's the electrons are trying to go to ground. And if you ground yourself, then you become part of that circuit. Okay. Um, So ideally, what you want to do is dial down the electric fields in the room, which would be most commonly 
like electric lamps, even when they're not turned on, can be a big electric field or overhead lights. Um, you have to get like a building biologist to measure your own meter to measure that. So if you really make some effort to create a little space and make sure that you don't have that buzzing electrical, that's good. The other one that can be a factor is sometimes the wiring in the house is not good. And when you, if you plug it into the wall, um, you, can, you can have electrical noise on the ground, which is supposed to be just, it's supposed to be just ground. Matter of fact, you can even have electrical noise in the soil, going through the soil, which is called ground current. Um, so I have that in Silicon Valley at, you know, one of my houses, I have a lot of ground current. So I, I started by plugging in to the wall and I had some improvement with that. And then I started plugging into the soil. I ran a wire outside under a door and plugged it into the soil and that felt better. But then still even I had to do some mitigation. I found I had noise even out outside. And so there are ways of mitigating that with like, um, that's a little bit more advanced with the, you know, um, building biologist or something. And, and the ground soil one is really pain and it's hard to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. At least now people can be more aware about, you know, that that is something that they should be looking into as well. Um, one of the things I yeah. wanted to bring attention to oh, was... Well, what I will, I will loop back with you is on the grounding. I, I talked about all the bad stuff, but I just want to say that it is quite good and it's quite natural. You're, you don't want your body holding all this static charge. And it's, um, you know, it creates inflammation and it also can get your body into like fight or flight mode. So even if you just go outside, stand on the ground uh, or touch like a pipe, which most pipes are grounded, you can even touch a pipe quickly, but sometimes it takes a while to really let your body ground out and you'll feel that kind of calming. So take a break outside, put your, you know, bare feet on the ground or just touch your hand to it, soil or tree or whatever works for you, or even like grounding. Sometimes they have these little ankle things so it is really helpful. And some people are profoundly um, thankful for that. Um, Dr. Mercola has a new tent that's a, has a shielded tent for even 5G. And the tent is also grounded. So you can get protected from EMF and electrical fields and grounded. And so that's a pretty safe way of doing grounding. I think I'm pretty happy with that. I just started playing with that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty interesting. Um, I think before we go, I just wanted to to let everyone know that you've been um, you've actually produced a, a documentary, right? I wanted you to maybe talk a, a little bit about that so they can have something more, some another resource to look at. Yeah, so people, yeah, it's always important to have these resources, and it feels like when you make a film, people take it like, oh, there's a film about this now. So there have been multiple films about it. Um, I found, I found a director who had done work at Cannes and she did a great job, um, Sabine Al-Gayam. And, um, she, and she's from your region too. And she's just an outstanding, she just really took the, she really took the thing, the, the, all the information and smoothed it out a little bit and presented it in kind of a calm and credible tone and in a positive tone that I think will resonate with people. I think for a lot of times when activists, when people are, in fight or flight mode and you're trying to convey this information, they can appear to be, you know, not credible because they're stressed and so-and-so and, and maybe a little bit of white and black thinking in that mode. So uh, Sabine did a great job. The film is called Generation Zapped. Uh, you can stream it, you can get a DVD. The DVD has more information on it and some of the more detailed scientist interviews. So, um, but just sharing the trailer alone is a great way to establish credibility with friends and, um, and I, yeah. I thank you for sharing that. And then, um, so the, so that's it. Some people like books and I would look at um, Dr. Joseph McCola's new book, um, 
EMF that came out about a year ago. That's also a nice summary of the topic. It tells you what the problem is, how to fix it. Also, he's, his solution with a lot of the DNA damage is to add, to up NAD so that the body can help repair. And I, I've been doing that with multiple ways, but I've been doing a slow dose niacin, which okay. is a really nice way to, you know, add energy, boost NAD, but also I use, we use flushing niacin so that the circulation improves. And if your child or you or your child are overmethylated or a little anxious, it calms that down too. So if you only did one thing, that's, that's a nice solution. Yeah. And it's also been shown to help a lot of um, kiddos with ADHD. So, you know, it's, it's exactly. all of these things together coming in, connecting to that. Well, thank you so much. This exactly. has been so, you know, enlightening and, you know, you went into so much detail and I, I hope that people can take away from this and with hope, right? Your, your story is one yeah. of hope um, and that, you know, recovery is possible. It might take a few steps working, looking at, you know, different aspects, but that it is possible. And I think okay. the stories that you share today really, really help with that. So I really, really thank you for coming on today. Oh, and thank you for standing up for children. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and spending your precious time with us at Helping Children Thrive. If you find this podcast helpful, please share it with your family, friends, and others who may benefit. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast on the review section of Apple Podcast. This will help other parents, caregivers, and professionals find this show more easily. Visit momentasaleemcoaching.com to post comments on today's show or ask any questions about upcoming episodes and sign up to receive weekly updates. Helping Children Thrive is not a substitute for working with a qualified healthcare professional. The information shared here is not intended to diagnose and treat your child. Before implementing anything discussed here on the podcast, make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner. See you all next week.